0: Hi there. Welcome to the From Lab to Launch podcast by Qualio, where we share inspiring stories from the people on the front lines of life sciences. Tune in and leave inspired to bring your life-saving products to the world. Now let's get started with Robert, Qualio founder and CEO and our show host.
1: Ron Shigeta is a serial entrepreneur and startup biotech pioneer. He's also been a serial founder, having run startups in AI drug tox detection and synthetic biology. Ron holds a PhD in chemistry from Princeton University, where he spent his academic research career focusing on secondary metabolic biosynthesis, diabetes, genomics, genetics, structural biology, and systems biology. Outside of work, Ron spends his time at Laney College establishing the world's first community college program dedicated to synthetic biology. Ron also serves on the advisory board for the Center for Food, Innovation, and Entrepreneurship at the Business School at Santa Clara University. As an entrepreneur, investor, scientist, and mentor, Ron shares some great insights to anyone who wants to contribute to life sciences. And I'm incredibly excited to have the opportunity to chat with him today. Welcome to the show, Ron. Incredibly excited to have some time with you today and ask you some questions and learn a bit about your journey, which is definitely an interesting one. And I think you're at a very exciting space at a very exciting time. So thanks for joining us today.
0: Thank you. Thank you. It, it indeed is. It, it really is.
1: I'd love to kick off briefly with, if you could give us a really short introduction of your work you're doing with Alix.
0: I'm an investor. It, Alix is just a seed fund. It's a small fund. And we're here to help some really promising biotech companies start to make their, make their dream a reality. We are working within biotech platforms. So we prefer really deep biotech. We've invested in DNA writing. We've invested in promoter control of genes and libraries. We've got an organoid company that's really hot right now. That's trying to do deep clinical like therapeutic research and discovery. We really want to get a handle on the technologies that are going to make the next 10 years different for pharma than it has for the previous 10 and or 100, you might say.
1: I was just going to say a previous 100. I think aspirin was on the market a long time before the semiconductor revolution and hasn't uh, moved forward it isn't just as much as pure tech has. That was like the
0: only drug for quite a while. Now, that, that was a yeah. different time, for sure.
1: Maybe an unfair example to use because of that. And maybe before we dig into the trends, what's happening right now, which is a definite hobby horse of mine in an area I love to talk to people about, I'd, I'd love to go back a bit and you know, what were your influences? What are who influenced you and made you want to take this path?
0: I have to, I'm going to start in a very sort of typical place. I, I have a PhD in structural biology and protein structure, and I love deep science. And I got a great job coming out in a startup coming out of my PhD experience. And I just, it just kept getting nicer and nicer. And I stayed there for 12 years and I was running a team doing bioinformatics and genome analysis, all this great stuff. But at some point I just realized this is not what I want to do the rest of my life. And I could not see what I was going to do next. And uh, I think a lot of people getting their PhDs now feel that way much younger than I did. And so this being San Francisco, I just decided I'm just going to do, do something. And I just started networking. There's lots of networking events here. And I ended up opening a biotech innovation space called Berkeley BioLabs. It's a garage. You could come in for hundred bucks a month and have a biotech bench. And that quickly turned into getting hired by SOSB, which is a venture capital fund and going to build IndieBio, which is the world's first biotech accelerator. I built, I was a scientific member of the staff. So I built the lab and the companies came in, we funded them and they had three months to get some good scientific ammunition for Demo Day. And so I did that for a few years and then I did a startup and now I'm working with Alix. But, and I do advise several investors. I met so many investors when I was in eBio bio and helped a lot of funds get started. So it was a great place to, it was a great place to sort of create a new career and it happened just like, just like that.
1: So looking at your background, it looks like a straight line. As often it can do from the outside, but the reality when you're driving is you don't exactly have the the map figure it out. Uh, indie bio is fascinating, and I could spend a bit of time on that if if you don't mind. Because yeah, you know that Shauna Sullivan, the uh, person from Cork, Ireland. And I'm also from Cork, Ireland, so I got to fly the flag and represent there. But awesome. That was the first uh, at Berkeley bio Labs, I was aware of that really before indie bio kicked off. Oh, wow. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, but the SMSV thing and IndieBio in particular was the first time I noticed, and I could be so wrong here, you can correct me. I decided not to research before this, so you, I could be a novice on air, air with you here. That was the first time I saw a startup accelerator model getting applied in a space which felt like the only companies that could win are like back in the day, you had SAP, IBM, and Oracle, and a few companies like that, and it was impossible to get to market without being this big vertically integrated stack. Now across bio, like funding companies at small amounts of capital and making progress, I felt like new science, I think, even five years ago.
0: It was really, I have to say, I'm really proud of Indie bio, and I'm yeah. proud, I am like totally grateful to Sean O'Sullivan because he let us do it. Being the first person on the dance floor is the hardest thing in the world. Yeah. And I think biology had been there for a couple years, but we got in there and the lab was not was reasonable for the fund to build. And and biotech has simply gotten cheaper over the past 20 years. If you think about a typical PhD thesis, you're looking at scores of genomes in a typical data write-up of a thesis. 20 years ago, there was one genome in the entire world. And so there has been, it's been really interesting that nobody was aware of the cost drop of actually building a biotech, and now, $50,000 Fifty to $70,000 will get a biotech off the ground. A lot of founders can pull that money and start doing work, get some crummy data, and they're on the road. But IndieBio helps people get started basically from zero. Yeah. That was, it was different, and, and it's really caught on. I'm, I'm really excited about it.
1: Even five years ago, looking back, it looks like obviously this was a good bet, right? Even what you were doing at Berkeley, all this looking back, yeah, obviously this was the, the tipping <laughs> point was starting to happen the, back then. Was this?
0: It was totally, you know what? Yeah. Sean, SOSB is in a position to let, try do experiments and let things fail. Yeah. Very few funds will do that. And that was, that's the main reason they are where they are. I, I think yeah. there are other biotech accelerators going on, but there's just a handful in the entire world still. Building the infrastructure up front with the money from a venture fund before you make an investment is something a lot of people are prepared to do. I think that structure will change, that will become more common in the future, but it's still not very common.
1: We have public biotech companies, pre-market still, like we're working with them as customers. We love to support them. We even noticed this incredibly interesting is we have a biotech company, different products and slightly different therapeutic areas, but like categorizes a biotech company, public market cap, 50, 100 people. I think we'll work with like a Indie bio style, like maybe more, I will not necessarily say more modern, but like in a new huh. wave biotech company is like, we've raised a couple of million dollars. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is really interesting.
0: Saying, yeah. about like the mix, like just if you can do geographically yeah. in the Bay Area, that's probably the more pronounced, but like how many small companies versus do you have percentage wise in, in yeah. the Bay Area?
1: Oh, we definitely skew towards, we we call this and like the emergent ecosystem and we have a really strong thesis as a business which goes back to why did we start this company and I, I won't go too much depth because your story is more interesting here it is that there's I guys like once upon a time you had Oracle, SAP, IBM and that was like what it took and, and there's a democratization of the technology and, and go to market and now look at all the public like everything now is a multi-billion dollar business and it's, that's how technology has worked. I think we're at a tipping point that's going to tip faster than the pure software industry tipped over. And it's happening. This decade is going to completely change how this world looks. That's, that's, like, that's what I love. I love uh, I, the companies that are at that point. because it's it's, a great. Big big it's great. And it's
0: really super great that you structured the company to handle those yeah. customers from the get-go. It's hard to switch into that market once you've yeah. started with the big players. Yeah. And so I, I commend that. And I think a lot of companies are doing you know, software as a service for, for biotech should really understand that. I actually am on the advisory board for Laney College and they are creating mm. the first synthetic biology program for for community college. So wow. we're innovating in, on the educational space too. I think 38% of their graduates go to companies under 10 people. Yeah. They're, they're putting out all these tech level trainees. It's a great program, but like, it's increasing how many small companies. They're going to be dominant very shortly, I think, in terms of hiring.
1: That is, and it comes down to the speed these companies can move at, being resource-constrained, they have to find novel ways. Like it's, I wasn't around when servers went from $10 million to purchase to free. I would imagine those people who can like look, both those will go, wow, this is so similar. Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing right now. So like, That's why yeah. we love what we're doing. And, uh, I don't know if you've seen it,
0: but actually, even uh, McKinsey, published a report mm. that said the 21st century is going to be dominated by a biotech economy. I'm, I'll send you that link and maybe you can put Jeez. it up in the yeah. description. But mm-hmm. if he says it publicly like that, it is so bloody obvious. Yeah. You're a smart guy for, uh, uh, quality is pretty smart for for setting up the way it is because you are, you know, right, getting ready to ride the wave and that's the kind of investment I like. Yeah.
1: We hope so. It's fun right now. And we look at all the other things we see. And I want to get your thoughts on the trends that you look at and I see things like yeah, YC Bio. I believe yeah. it's public nowadays. They say that's their biggest bet, is they're not the next Dropbox or Stripe, it's the bio bet. They think it's going to be their next I big. And who very famously said, software is eating the world. And I love this phrase because they, have, they, have, they just say trademarks. Everything they say becomes like, <laughs> like a phrase for the tech industry. But they said, software is eating the world. They had been doing that for a while. And they said in January, they launched BioFund3, it's a $750 million fund. And the phrase that's always stuck with me is, is, bio is not the next new thing, bio is becoming everything. And you couldn't miss that. And you people who are repeatedly smart and successful in firms, and if you look at the signals now, it's, I think it's starting, it's, it's not quite obvious yet, but if, if we meet again and have another chat like this in three years time, It'll be yeah, of course. Yeah, how could you not? It was always there. Right, right. like Look at your background; it looks like a straight line towards where we are right now. But you, you never really know on the back, just like socks.
0: Yeah. And I remember seeing the first surf sort of web browsers, I'm dating myself. But I remember seeing the first web browser. And I go, huh, that sounds interesting. But you just, you just couldn't, you couldn't tell how you. Yeah. Big, you could say it's gonna be ubiquitous, but you don't feel it in your gut. When you feel it, the reality is emotional, and that yeah. emotion transition. Is the hardest thing to do if you're trying to be visionary. Like you can understand it, but the rational doesn't create action with them. Actually, yeah. you know a good, phrase, a good phrase that popped in my mind is software is getting full. The ROI, of most of the companies actually flattening out now, and that's why the funds are moving over. There are a few extremely powerful investments to make in software still, but the number of them are smaller. And so, in order to statistical, the statistical average uh, of return on investment for the funds, mean that they're going to move to biology. They all have. COSLA, uh, we have worked with COSLA. We work with mm-hmm. Innovation Endeavors. We work with we work with all, YC. All of these funds are moving to bio. And interest, it's interesting to see how they feel about it. I think the one thing that they've done is they've been, it's hard to retool in the midstream. And Paul Graham started YC based on the idea that the white Combinator is this exotic piece of, exotic piece and a pun of computer science about an accelerator and he just he only wanted people who understood that to come in but it's hard to understand biotech that same way and create an accelerator the same way and i think the yc's still in transition there in terms of really yeah. understanding the culture they're trying to invest into
1: yeah a lot of us
0: are even me there's a lot of things i'm still learning it's a big change
1: so we covered several really big trends. What else do you see? What, is there anything that you're seeing now that's a trend that people should be paying attention to? And again, like one of the things we we're trying to do with, with this podcast in particular is healthcare feels impenetrable. Like, how do you understand it? It's hard to conceptualize, but I think there's a lot of things happening that everybody can see. And hopefully as people look at, I can do something in this space. What, what, what is happening that you're seeing?
0: I want to say, see- Think there's a topic that we're probably not going to talk too much about. about half of my time is associated with the fact that biotech is democratizing into every other field just like yep. computers biotech is now starting to get its fingers in and increasing mm-hmm. and improving the products in almost every manufactured good yeah including in some cases things like metal and mining yep. we had a company that we had a company that had a microbiome that would actually suck the extra uh, atoms of metal out of the slag and return it back to the mine, and so you just we just don't know where the limits are there. But within biotech for healthcare, I think that there is the same impact is happening. Healthcare, you go back. Actually, what you said about aspirin really still is still striking. Right, there were no drugs in the early nineteen fifties penicillin had just showed up and like mm-hmm. the three drugs that are out there would improve the lifespan by several years, the average lifespan. And now we have thousands of drugs, but we don't have control. We can't see disease. We cannot treat most disease. There are too many genetic factors. In some cases, it's not a disease. We're just fighting our own biology. And the goals have become loftier. Life extension, neuroregeneration, organ growth, All of these things are completely different ways of thinking about Mm -hmm. medicine. And we talk about them, but it's a completely different world for a doctor after these technologies become available. And uh, I think, so there's a lot of exciting investments out there. I think what we have to focus on is that technology enables medicine, but the, the treatments are still really expensive. And so, what do we do, how can we change the regulatory system, how can we change um, the way that we treat medicine as a technology to try more things because there, these are these fields are unprecedented and they really can't be treated the same way a small molecule could be. So yeah. I think that will be interesting to watch and it may not happen in the United States.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. There's one book I recommend people always, when we talk about this because everyone's always excited about going to Mars deepest trenches in the oceans. The amount that we understand so little about our own bodies that it's actually amazing. We're not, we don't actually spend more time. As a, as a species kind of digging in. I always recommend a really accessible book. It's by Bill Bryson. Uh, it's called The Body, A Guide for, for Occupants. I recommend anybody to read it. It's accessible by anybody. And every chapter almost ends with the statement of, and we have no idea why that happens. This seems to work. Great, we don't know why it happens. And after a certain African hit in the face of that so many times, you go, wow, we, we have opportunities here? And I always think that's a really uh, great intro. Mm-hmm. How are you applying all this at Alix? So you you have a lot of learnings now.
0: We are learning a lot. I think what we're doing is actually, Alex is an unusual fund. And I love working with Chaz, the GP, because I think he's really got the vision of what's happening in venture capital. So another thing's happening in venture capital is there is a lot of money now. There isn't any, there aren't just, and a lot of people see venture capital and they're starting to participate. But 10 years ago, 20 years ago, there were a handful of funds down in Palo Alto now, I, I, don't, I haven't found an accurate count on the number of funds that are global, but I think it's well over 1,500 funds. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of them under 25 I Yeah, but, but the problem for, for a startup now is not getting access to an investor. The problem for a startup is convincing investors that you are going to return, and mm-hmm. that is still very rare. And when a really good investment comes along, everybody jumps on it. What's really great about Alix is that we are building networks of, that are going to help people find the right investment, find the right help, and the real the information that they need. The experience, yeah. the average level experience of these startups is also lower. And so we have to deal with that. We have to make sure that people are, are, are prepared to deal with a partner, that they're prepared to talk, talk to somebody about helping with their clinical. And yeah. some people are just a couple of years out of their PhD or even young, fa- or even faculty members for the first time. They mean, they've never, you don't get that being a professor. And so, so there's huge gaps still to cover. And I think that the social network
1: will do that. I think it's, it sounds like a great solution. With all the experience for people who are listening, What's one thing you think as an industry or an ecosystem we should start doing to help the progress?
0: Let me ask Robert, who is help? Who is trying to help here? Because there's mm. so many different parties, right? Yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, That's fair. I, I guess where I spend my time is, it's the people that you mentioned. Uh, they're, and they, the example we always use is phenomenal engineers or biochemists. And we they've figured something out or they believe X and Y will equal this output. But how do they how did you get that how did, how did you end end actually assessment? get it going yeah, yeah I,
0: think, I think one of the things actually, i was talking with the guy a friend of mine who's a, who did clinical diligence for one of the big companies and he would sit on this committee he saw 200 potential partners go by in a couple of years and i think the biggest challenge facing any startup that i've ever worked with is they don't know who else is out there and they don't know what they're saying mm-hmm. so you think your pitch is pretty good but you didn't see the other 250 pitches this quarter that the VC saw. You, didn't, yep. you don't know how common your idea is. And the same is true when you go look, talk to a clinical partner. Until you have some inside dope, you don't know what they're looking for. You don't know what they really think. Mm-hmm. And I'm just gonna let everybody in the audience in on a clue. Academia is not a good place to get that. <laughs> and if, I, you, I went through that and I think you went through that nobody ever just sounds like this is what the, this is the clinical process nobody ever tells you you have to go there but fortunately there are a lot of people who are interested in talking about it so the podcast is a great place for that to happen and so are alix's sort of community built in communities that we're doing so uh, i think it's a matter of getting out there realizing you have a deficit of experience mm. and there are resources starting to come about now where you can pick that up but do not assume that you're that you are too hot to trot like it's that's not a good attitude because that the process for pharma is just so expensive, mm-hmm. so complicated. Anybody who thinks that they can handle it, just from where they are, no one's going to, I would never fund you. <laughs> if you have yeah. that. Like, I know you're smart, but that's not the point.
1: Yeah. The, that's a good answer to the next question is what should people stop doing. And I think people should stop overestimating uh, the impact they have when they walk in front yeah. of people like, like that. Yeah. It's tough. And
0: can have a PhD from MIT, and you will get a lot of attention for it. But being honestly smart is not just where you've been and what you, what you know.
1: I get that. Ron, you've been really awesome today. Just before we close off, I want to ask, is there any information that for people to sync to this, you want to get in touch with Alex or you? Is there anything you want to make sure that we share? We can add it to the show notes at the end.
0: Well, I'm on LinkedIn. I love people to connect, and I love that's a great place to get a hold of me i think you have my profile i'd love to talk to lot talk to you if you think you have a great idea and you just want to get some advice I'm happy to help
1: i'm sure um people would love to chat with you as well i've really enjoyed this run. you've been really awesome uh, thank you very much for joining i appreciate it thanks robert pleasure to be here
0: thank you for listening to this week's episode of from lab to launch brought to you by qualia if you like what you've heard please subscribe and give the show a positive review. It really helps us out. For more information about Qualio, our guest today, or to be a guest on a future episode, please refer to the show notes. Until next time.